0: So my colleagues asked me tonight to give a talk about love or metta. It's a good thing they asked me that because um, I've realized lately that's the only talk I can give. (laughs) And that all talks seem to lead to that. And maybe you might be discovering this on your own. That everything the teachers are saying, the different talks, the different practices, are all disguises for love. The 10,000 things that are the one thing. Deepama, who was an ancestor here, as I mentioned on the first night, she used to say, When I'm fully mindful, I'm being loving. When I'm fully loving, I'm being mindful. So there's that juxtaposition. It all comes back to love. And some of you have, may have experienced love on this retreat. I hope so. I saw one yogi uh, the other day. There was a big puddle, and they were just tapping their foot in the puddle like we used to do when we were kids and we didn't want to go to school. it was just such a beautiful simple expression of love the sunset tonight so when we come on retreat it's kind of a training ground to start touching metta or love it's a training ground to start to touch who we are, our true nature Our true nature isn't any of the stories or the thoughts. It's, it's the love that's at the essence of who we are. So when we come on these retreats, we get a taste of our essence. We get a taste of this love. And some people get a really big taste. <laughs> Blow your socks off taste. And other people just a tiny taste, maybe during the metta. But tonight, I wanted to look at the idea of sustainable love. So, we have that taste, and how do we sustain it in our lives? You know, there's a lot of talk these days about sustainability in agriculture, in resources, in renewable resources, people thinking about how to live off the land. And there's a lot of talk in the physical plane about sustainability. So what about sustainability of loving kindness? We're it. (laughs) We're the ones that can bring that sustainability to the world. It's interesting because you come on retreat to kind of continue Rebecca's theme about driving drive through that town. You come on the retreat, and you can get teleported into this amazing place. It's a bit like doing drugs. <laughs> you end up somewhere, and you're like, how did I get here? Wow. You get t- say like you live in New York, and all of a sudden you're teleported to San Francisco. and It's really great. You've never been to San Francisco before. But then... Sooner or later, maybe later in the retreat or when you go back home, you realize that you have to take that slow Greyhound bus from Hoboken, New Jersey, that stops in every Midwestern town, (laughs) and you have to take that slow bus all the way to Oakland (laughs) and then to San Francisco. But it's good that we have to do that. It's not a failure that we get teleported into a connection with love and then we have to go back and take the slow bus. That's not a failure. It's not a problem. It's Nothing's wrong. And the beauty of it is we get to move our understanding from our head to our heart to our gut. We start to, our body starts to digest these things and embody them. You can have a lot of people who have incredible knowledge from here and they don't embody it in their gut so much. And in some ways that's why if you get confused about how some teachers might break the precepts, it's because it, it's still up here. It hasn't come down into who they are. So our task is in sustainability of love is how to really start to embody. And it's not just the heart. It goes way down so that every aspect of our life is being lived from love. And this practice really does work, if you wonder. You can ask the series of people I've been in relationship with over the 20 years, and they will say... (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely grown more loving (laughs) I was just reading a cartoon the other day that this woman was talking to her husband and she said well the Dalai Lama didn't have to put up with your whining So we start to embody it more and more. We start to return to love quicker. That's really how I like to look at it. An example of this, I think, really occurred this summer when I was in my um, bicycle accident. And um, the pain was really tremendous and the level of disability. I was in a wheelchair for four months. And um, I really just kept finding the love that was there. Like, it was just such a struggle to get up, to get to the bathroom at 3 a.m., and I'd be in so much pain, and somehow on the way to the bathroom at 3 a.m., I'd go, where's the love? (laughs) (laughs) And it would be right there. It would just be right there, and that never would have happened five years ago. And I just kept coming back. didn't matter. Like my doctor said, you, I'd have a certain disability, amount of disability the rest of my life. It was just like, okay, okay. You know, coming back to your feet like a cat landing on its feet. Okay, so you get this diagnosis. You get this problem. You know, whatever it is in your life, a relationship breaks up, someone dies in your family, how to land on your feet again in the realm of love. And that landing on your feet again gets quicker and quicker. And it gets more fun, too. (laughs) So that's one question you can ask yourself for sustainability. And it's a question I ask myself pretty continuously is, where's the love? When I'm in a difficult situation, when I'm faced with something difficult, where's the love? Just as kind of an inquiry. We miss it. We so miss it. There's a core of love in every single thing, every single thing, even those thoughts that you totally hate. (laughs) Whatever that thing is that you just wish, like Rebecca said, it's the one thing that you keep asking the question for advice because you want it to go away. (laughs) If you stay with it long enough, it will reveal its core of love to you. I promise But in this culture, we don't stay with things long enough. We get really impatient. It always reveals its core of love. Even Gandhi talked about this. And this is really, he's talking about an outward thing, but it really applies to inward when you hear this. When I despair, I remember that all through history, the way of truth and love has always won. There have been murderers and tyrants, and for a time they can seem invincible. But in the end, they always fall. Think of it, always So whatever the murderers and tyrants are in here, they will fall. The way of love always wins. Gandhi was telling the truth and it's something we forget. There's a core of love in everything and to get interested and curious about where is it? Where can it be revealed? One more story about um, what I went through this summer that really showed me clearly. I've always had a lot of issue with um, difficult emotions, as I mentioned the first night depression, and um, I also have a trauma history. So there's there's been a lot to work with on the emotional realm, but not so much on the physical realm. And when I was in the hospital after my second operation... There was a period of about four hours where I had absolutely no pain relief, and um, the pain got so intense. Uh, first of all, I couldn't stop. I, there was I just kept screaming because there wasn't really anything. It just got so intense, and I thought I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> And I actually started talking gibberish. I found out from my partner later that I was absolutely making no sense at all when I would talk. And, and then there was just this moment where the mind said, Oh, well, we'll get to see what losing our mind is like. <laughs> <laughs> and and <laughs> this is where the practice comes in. It's really amazing. <laughs> and I was like, Wow, that'll be interesting. And, and um, <laughs> what happened was the pain was moving in, and it was the physical sensation was like being crushed in concrete. And at that moment, that there was the inquiry and the interest, the whole thing, the, the pressure of the concrete, it was like having a concrete room collapse on me. And at that moment of interest, it just broke wide open. And all there was was love there. Now, the pain didn't get any better, (laughs) not so much, really. But it didn't matter because it was held in love. So the pain was still really intense, but there was love in the center of it, in the midst of it, in the middle of it. And I just thought, well, if this isn't an example of how there's a core of love at everything, even the moment when we think we're going to lose our mind, From pain, it's there. gave me such faith. And I'm sure you're noticing that on retreat, that when you contact the love, it gives you so much faith, doesn't it? It's our true nature. So getting interested in the many disguises of love, Another way to cultivate sustainability of love is to look at how we resist love. I could go on and on about how we resist love. I won't. (laughs) But just to think about, there's this point in our life when we're newborns. We're just pure love. Been saying this in some of the groups. We, we put everything in our mouth and, you know, we want to experience everything. And there's just this incredible loving curiosity about something, everything. But then there's this point in our life as we're growing up where we turn away from that. We turn away from ourselves. We turn away from our true nature. And some of you might, even if you reflect now, You might be able to remember, oh, yeah, I remember that moment I turned away. It was, you know, kindergarten when my kindergarten teacher told me whatever I drew was stupid. So just at this moment, reflecting on that place where we turned away, if you know of it, and making that intention to turn back towards who you are. to turn back towards the love. It's that simple. We turned away from our true nature. We turned not maybe completely away, but partially. And making that agreement to turn back Fully. It's no small thing. And this is one of those head heart gut things. (laughs) You might make the intention now through here, and it'll take time before we really turn back. It's a process. We get afraid to love. It's interesting because today a couple people mentioned this Maryam William quotation, which I actually happen to have. So I thought I'd read it because you guys are bringing it up. (laughs) And interestingly enough, it's from a book called Return to Love. And a lot of times people attribute this, uh, Nelson Mandela read it in his acceptance speech, but it was originally written by Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? (laughs) Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your plain small doesn't serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. you were born to make manifest the glory of the God that is within you. This is our true nature. It's scary. So we resist love by resisting this truth. It's interesting because Upandita, Rebecca and I used to sit with Upandita. (laughs) long time ago <laughs> and um he once said you know he's really a teacher about fierceness and suffering and but he once said he said you know there's stages to enlightenment not because we can't open to that much suffering at once but because we can't open to that much joy and love at once It's a little different than you'd think, huh? It's kind of a different take on the Four Noble Truths. It's not easy to start to become this sustainable love. Another way we resist love is by identifying with our stories. And the mind incessantly. And I'm not really going to talk about that cuz you guys have been watching that all week. <laughs> you know, it's it's a nice practice to do that, you know, just say no to drugs thing. <laughs> just say no to the story. So, you know, as it comes up, just like no. And they really are just stories. There's stories we tell about other people. There's stories we tell about ourselves. It sounds really simple, but when you when you call a story, when you call it to the carpet, <laughs> I see you. This is a story. I don't have to believe it. Is it really true? No, it's not really true. Well, then let it go. (laughs) There's all these stories. One of my, uh, I used to work with a woman named Byron Katie, and she used to talk about the last story. I never have quite figured out what that is. I think it's the story of self, but that always used to intrigue me. Last story. Kind of a really simple example of the story thing. This, uh, when I was in Australia working with an Aboriginal elder, he told the story one day about how he came home from school and he was telling, his grandfather said to him, how was your day at school? And he said, I had a bad day. And his grandfather just looked at him and kind of smiled and shook his head, and he said, I don't think so. And he said, yeah, I had a bad day. (laughs) And then he took his grandson around, his grandfather took him around, and he he said, did the trees have a bad day? Does this rock have a bad day? And he looked at him, the grandfather looked at him, and he said, There are rainy days, there are sunny days, there are dry days, there are summer days, there are winter days, but there aren't bad days. That was a story. And he just came back to the simplicity, pure experience, like we're doing here. There are sunny days and rainy days. So sustainability through looking for the love. (laughs) There's a Hawaiian word called ho'oponopono. It means making right. And there's a man named Dr. Len. And as part of this Hawaiian healing, ho'oponopono, he started to um, try and heal people who were criminally insane. And he actually didn't meet with these people, and these people didn't know that he was trying to heal them. And what he would do is he would take their files and he would handle their files. And every time he touched their file over and over again, he would say two things as part of this healing. He would say, I'm sorry. And I love you. I'm sorry. I love you. Over and over again. When he touched these people's files. And interestingly enough, they healed. Many of them were released. Criminally insane. So it really makes me think about the sustainability of love and what we're doing in the world and the meta. It can just be as simple as saying to yourself whatever mind state comes up, wherever you are, wh- whatever's happening, I'm sorry and I love you. Might be a way to sustain love. Another way is through stillness. When we're still, love has an opportunity to arise. Each of us has a place of stillness in your body, it's like that center of the wheel. And I talked about that wheel that's spinning. And at the center, it's completely still. Although Pascal corrected me, it's the axis on which it spins is completely still. <laughs> 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 Whatever. <laughs> Another analogy is, have you ever been in an airplane and you're going, what, 800 miles an hour? And the center of the airplane is just still. I mean, you know, people are moving around, but it's it's amazing. And I think of that as our bodies as we're moving around. There's that place like the center of an airplane. They're serving tea in there. <laughs> So it's just touching that place, and when you sit like for me, the goal of a meditation is just to touch that place of stillness, so it's like dipping my hand into a river. I sit down, be with the breath, and i I watch the breath, I watch the rhythm of breath in the abdomen, and then the place of stillness is just right there, and just feeling it. Just it's, It kind of has this hum to it. And then when I talk, when I do things, allowing a moment to, t- to check in with that place of stillness, and the speech can come from the stillness. It doesn't have to come from this disembodied place. Everything arises and passes away into that stillness. Everything. That's been my experience. And the stillness has a, a benevolent quality to it. It's, it's very wonderful. Ramana Maharshi said, it's a really nice quotation that I just think about all the time when it relates to the stillness. Let what comes come, let what goes go, see what remains. when all the thoughts come and go all the emotions all the stories what remains and that place of stillness in your body does it have a gender does it have an age is it smart or stupid What is it? It's that place where we're all the same love. We're all the same being. We're not divided in that place of stillness. That's why in every meditation I try and remember it. Recognize it, reconnect. So now you guys are still. <laughs> There's another way, very different way to. Uh, Sustain love, and that's through laughter. The one thing I used to hate about silent retreats is you just don't hear much laughter. I used to go, like, stand by the staff dining room door. And it just, I mean, do you notice how much laughter comes out of it? I mean, it's not really when you're in there. It doesn't seem like much is happening. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it just, like, there's, it just sounds like we're having a whopping good time, doesn't it? When you listen... Those other side of that doors. <laughs> used to call it the hell realm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you're in it, but when you're when you're in the when you're in the retreat, you hear this laughter and it sounds really great. So, uh, so I really used to miss the laughter, and actually, uh, next week I'm going to clown school for two days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited <laughs> so okay but laughter um so one yogi today was talking about how when they hear the voice of unworthiness they dress it up they put like a clown nose on it and they joke with it and so that's one way is you know you can you can tease you can laugh and Make fun with these stories, these mind states. It, it. Rem- we, you know, we remember the love when we laugh. One of my friends um, in New Mexico. She, uh, she went through a kind of hellacious experience with a man that she'd been married to for thirty years, and then found out he had this whole other life, and, and created a lot of. Um, lot of bitterness for her and a lot of feelings of betrayal and she was pretty stuck in those feelings for a long time and then one day she just thought um she just she's an artist and she just started making these bustles actually she gave me one (laughs) she started making these bustles and they she, she went down to Mexico and got the fabric and learned how to give them a little bouffant kind of like a little bolster up and she would wear these around the house because her <laughs> her theme her theme was you can't be bitter in a bustle <laughs> <laughs> so it really worked for her. Uh oh, look out, Pascal! Pascal is the king of dress-up. <laughs> More to be demonstrated later. So, um, so it totally shifted. It totally shifted her into love and actually that was the doorway making these bustles was the doorway for her she made a whole series actually um different ones for different occasions (laughs) different different kinds of bitterness (laughs) and um they healed they really healed her and they they brought her back to love and to taking care of herself and loving kindness so you just never know (laughs) <laughs> the last one which is in some ways the antithesis of laughter um, is surrender. And I was wondering the other day if there's a poly word for surrender because it it sounds so christian but there actually is a poly word um Surrender is what we did the first night. We took the, The piece of surrender that's part of Buddhism is the refuges. We take refuge in the Buddha. We take refuge in awakeness itself. Not our awakeness. Awakeness itself. We take refuge in the Dhamma. Dhamma literally means that which upholds. Basically, it's all that is. So you're being upheld by something, by the truth, by Dhamma. Taking refuge in something much bigger than yourself that's upholding you. It's been upholding you for five, six days now, five days. Whether we know it or not, it's what sustains us. And refuge in the Sangha, that Pali word Sangha means to come together. It doesn't actually mean community. It means coming together. Coming together of what? Of our oneness. All of us here. So you can take refuge in this coming together, this thing that upholds this awakeness. We don't take refuge in effort. We don't take refuge in me and mine. We take refuge in something that's bigger than me and mine. And really surrender. I was talking with a friend the other day about this. It's really the first of the eightfold path. It's really right view. I spent a long time in my practice thinking it was about me. My enlightenment. (laughs) My awakeness. My practice. My, 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 my. And I really forgot the help that getting help because Buddhism this sitting by yourself and being quiet it can you, you can think that it's really you and you alone but it's not we're each one of us is still here because of everyone else because we were sustained by this community And that continues after we leave. We owe everything we learn to this this synergy with everyone else and with the Dhamma. So when we can see that, we're in line with right view because we're not doing it alone. Abraham Lincoln says, I fall on my knees daily because there's nowhere else to go. That willingness when we practice to just fall on our knees over and over and say, help. Surrender is where we find love. Because guess what, we can't do it on our own, so we have to look to find the love when we surrender. Otherwise we're just cruising along and it's like, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then, bam, (laughs) we're down and we need to reach up and we got to take hold of someone else's hand because there's no way we're getting out without it. And a lot of this path is like that. Thomas Merton said, True love happens when love becomes impossible and our heart is turned to stone. I like that image of the you know, the heart turning to stone. How many how many times has that happened for you? So that willingness to recognize surrender as a way to sustain love in our life. When you leave here, while you're here, your whole practice life. The other day I realized that often I would say, what do I want out of life? It was often a question I would ask. On the other day I just thought, well what does life want out of me? <laughs> I never asked that. <laughs> what does what do you what what's supposed to come happen here? <laughs> and in some ways they're the same. One last piece about surrender. When you really hit the wall, you can't find love anywhere. Ask yourself, what can I trust? I've told a number of you this, what can I trust? Somebody said today, truth. Another person said to be engaged. Another person said love. Another person said awareness. What can you trust when you don't have your health, when you don't have your mind, when you don't have anything left that you can grasp for? What are you going to be able to trust? It's good to know that now because that will bring you back to the love. There's a lot more I could say, but I'm going to uh, close here. Rebecca was probably wondering what kind of crazy music I brought in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I was growing up, uh, my mother used to, she uh, listened to the Gospels a lot. So I really grew to love the Gospels. Paul Robeson, Mahalia Jackson, Odetta. The Gospels are about, for me, they're about um, finding the love in the suffering. You know, they're they're tremendously joyful songs, but also they've got that suffering, the joy and the suffering right there. So this song is a traditional song. Um, and I just want to say, um, it's very short. She doesn't sing the second verse, but it's the Swing Low Sweet Chariot song. And the second verse is actually the best one for Dharma. And the second verse is, I'm sometimes up and sometimes down, but still I know I'm freedom bound. And isn't that what this week is? Sometimes up and sometimes down, but still we know we're freedom bound. So it's the last this last piece is about letting yourself be carried, because that's what surrender is, and that's what love is that we carry each other and our true nature carries us all. hmm. Coming for the care.